everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Logos of Love. I got the title right this time, Chris. Didn't go with what we originally said. Logos of Love podcast. I am Kyle Priestley, along here with Chris Barber. Logos of Agape is Chris's website, just for clarity. For those of you who listened to last week, I misspoke, and I was quoting what that was. We had the idea of originally calling the podcast that, but decided to go with Logos of Love to kind of give a different in verbiage and things like that. So yes, Logos of Love podcast. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited. We got a great topic today. Yeah. you. Uh, we talked a little bit last week before, very briefly football. You gave me a hard time for Cowboys not thinking they're going to go. And after after yesterday, I mean, I you might you might be right. I, I didn't expect a whole lot, didn't have a lot to play for. So we'll see. Uh, they play next Monday night, so hopefully beat Tom Brady. Most of us can all agree on that. Well, the, I, this is all this this show is all about the love, except for I we don't have the love for Tom Brady. The, the gospel excludes <laughs> excludes that. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, the gospel says nothing about what football team you root for. I hate to you, but <laughs> but um, I always joke. The, the Holy because, Spirit though teaches me this. I I don't need that to tell me, Chris. That's, yeah, to to switch sports though, I always say that uh, the uh, Angels baseball team are God's team. They're heavenly, and so therefore you should be rooting for the Angels. But that's because I'm an Angels fan. I've been an Angels fan forever. So. Um, but uh, all joking aside, and and you know your Cowboys, sure. I mean, I think we might end up playing them in the second round of the playoffs if we both win. So the Niners are yeah. in; we're the two seed. So, and I'll be honest with you, Chris. If there's a team in the NFC I don't want to play in the playoffs, it's the Niners. So, even with we're a third string quarterback, good. you're still a pretty darn good team right now. I'm I'm worried about Mister Irrelevant, Christian. You know, uh, Brock Purdy. You know, he was literally the last pick in the draft. But I gotta be honest, he's looked really good. So he's he's made me less and less nervous every week. So hopefully he can do what we need to do. The rest of the team, I feel like the rest of our team is stacked. So yeah. Util- uh, utilitarian. That's that's the word there for yeah, you. So exactly. Well, yeah. So today we're gonna be going, Jesus is the logos of God, and therefore he is the logos of love, is what we're gonna title this show. So, Chris, start us off here. Yeah, so we we did a little teaser last week. You caught me off guard with asking why we called the show the show. And so let's go ahead and talk about that. The Logos of love, love, as we talked about last week, is a reference to God and the character, the you can call it the heart of God or the center of God's character. Um, so it's just a reference to God as the triune God. Um, but then Logos is a reference specifically to the sun. So there's a phrase that's common in Christianity that says it's all about Jesus. And literally the title is kind of going along with that same motif. The Logos of love is Jesus. And we're going to get into that some more today. What exactly does that mean? What does the term mean? Um, what does it mean that Jesus is the Logos? So I'm really excited. Um, hopefully it can be enlightening and helpful for our understanding um, of our walk with Christianity. So this is going to be the first episode like this, and not all of the episodes will be like this, but many will be. We are getting into 
um, etymology. That's a fancy word that means the study of the origin of words and the way in which their meanings have changed throughout history. Um, Logos has grown throughout time and what it meant originally. It has a common use. It has a specific special use. Um, and if we really want to understand the words that we're talking about, they're important to understand what they originally meant in their original context. Um, and so we're going to be doing that today with Logos. So that's that's kind of where we're going. All right. So, Chris, how do we normally think of the word Logos then? Well, Logos is a really well-known word. Um, it's the word that is translated. Figure out how to word this right here so that it's not confusing. But it's the word that's translated as word in the New Testament. Um, and even in what's the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's also translated word most of the time. Um, and so it can be confusing, but we're talking about the word that we translate word. The most famous use of it is John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. That's the Greek word we're talking about today. However, what I'm going to posit tonight, um, it may be shocking, um, but I'm going to say that that's actually a very poor translation because uh, while uh, Logos has a popular Greek use in that time period, I don't think there's any real reason based off of that to be translating it as word. Um, so, and this is because when it was used in that time period, it carried a much wider meaning than the word word does. Um, when we think the word word in English, we're thinking of like, I don't know, we're thinking of like a specific word and everything that kind of falls from that word, but it's not, no one really disputes the fact um, and when I say no one, like scholars, if you were to ask anybody, what does the Logos mean? Um, anybody who's actually studied it, none of them will say it just means word. They'll all say it means something more. Um, so I've actually kind of scratched my head at times at like why on earth we're insisting on translating this as word. Um, I do have a theory and we'll address that maybe a little bit later, but uh it means something more. So let's go ahead and jump into that. Um, the actual meaning of Logos is, I would say it's like the meaning behind the words. Um, by this basic premise, it was used to convey how someone expresses their own line of thinking. So um, let me just kind of give you like an example. Um, so if, if I were to say to you, Kyle, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Okay. Yeah. My words are saying something. Father like son. What? Father like son. Father like son. But that's not what the actual words say. The words say apple doesn't fall from, far from a tree. If you don't understand the context and everything, it would just seem like I'm talking about a tree and an apple. Yeah. Like we understand that in this context, that that's what I'm trying to convey. And what I'm trying to show there is words have a thought process behind them that um, sometimes we don't understand at all. And sometimes we don't understand unless we're in the right cultural setting. But the logos is the, 
the thought process that I'm trying to convey that something that comes from something is mm -hmm. going to have similar characteristics. That's the thought that I'm trying to convey. Um, and we oftentimes say, well, that is the father is like the son. And a good way to say that is that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We all understand that phrase, phrase, but it doesn't mean literally the apple falls far from, doesn't fall far from the tree. It means the thought process that I'm trying to convey behind it. So mm -hmm. it's the thoughts that are behind. And what I want to say before we even jump into, um, I guess, Jesus as the Logos, um, as I want to say, there's two types of use in the Bible, and we kind of neglect this first use, okay? Um, the first use, I think, is, and what, what I just described to you, you might describe it as someone's logic or someone's reason. I in a second ago I used their thought process, their thought process, or their thinking. Um, I believe that this was the common use of the word logos. When I say common, I mean not not like in special realms. And a little bit we're going to talk about like the philosophical use of of logos. But even removed from that, before that came, um, which probably around 400 years before Jesus the word logos starts getting used in the philosophical realm with all sorts of other types of meanings. But I believe, and I think that if, if one studies it, you'll see that it means um, like the thought process or the logic, someone's logic. And that's how it gets used regularly. Um, another way it gets used in the new Testament with this common use in mind is if we're talking about a specific topic. So like, let's say I'm talking about, um, how, uh, how apples don't fall far from trees. Like I used a minute mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. And, but what I'm really trying to talk about is how, um, people from a similar line don't always, uh, oftentimes exhibit the same traits. So you could say that my thought process is on that is that children are going to bear the bear the fruit or bear the resemblance of their parents but it can be used of any like topic so like for example we get our word logic from logos so that's one way that we can kind of see okay this word doesn't just mean word it means um logic another way we can see it is that every word that you can think of that ends in the in ology Okay. That ology is from the Greek word logos. Now, most people will tell you that ology. So, like, let me just give you a few examples. Biology. Um, theology. Bracketology. <laughs> bracketology. I mean, yeah, these exactly. terms I can understand here, Chris. Term. I mean. <laughs> right, right. But but the any any word, there's uh, there's a plethora of words in English that we have tagged this ology on the into. Now, most people will tell you that that means the study of. But what it really means is you're trying to study the logic of whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like theology um, is trying to understand the logic or the reasoning behind God. 
So you're not just studying, but you're, what are you studying? You're studying the logic of something. Um, so like a, the logic of a specific subject is what you're studying when you study any ology, if you will. Biology mm -hmm. is the study of life. So it's the study of the logic of how life works. That's, that's what ology is. So you kind of see how those are used. So the common use of that day, of that time, um, was in that way. Um, so th that's, that's the first thing I want to set up is there's a common use throughout the New Testament. Yes, there's a special use that is going to be used to Jesus. We're going to talk about that. But first and foremost, I think a, the vast majority of the New Testament use lo uses logos like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, any questions there? I, no, I think that makes sense. I get the logos of it. All right. Sounds good. So um, with that being said, there is a special kind of use of logos, even in the common use. And that's when it refers to God's logos. So like I could be talking about Kyle and say, um, Kyle's logos betrayed him. Your logic betrayed you. And you didn't understand something properly. Um, and I do think that there are times in the New Testament where it's used of just general people. But a lot of times it's used in the New Testament in this first common use of the sense, co common use of the word, not common use of the sense, common yeah. use of the word. It's used in that way about God. Um, and so the development that later comes along of ascribing Logos to Jesus is a later development and so most of the New Testament, I think, uses um, Logos as, um, as this common use of the logic of someone. And then it kind of, when it's used of God and his logic, it's like a special, like, because God's logic is life-giving. And so when God's logic is expressed, it's giving life. Um, and so, and that's why I think a lot of people get confused with it and think it's the word because we think the word gives life, but that's because we've constantly translated logos as word when it's, it's means the meaning behind the words, the thought process behind the words. So. Okay. Yeah. 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 So are there other words then? There are other words. So here's the thing that gets really confusing in the New Testament. I mean, obviously there are words, but other words that pertain to this specifically. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. There, there are other words that that pertain to this topic, um, and it, it can get really confusing. Have you ever heard of the word of the Greek words rima and graphe? Uh, rima, I've heard. I'm tr I can't remember the definition of what it is right now that one i definitely have heard uh grafe is that the only said mm -hmm. that one i don't know that i have okay so let's talk about those two the the tricky part is that all three of these sometimes get translated as word okay so it gets really confusing um and all three of them so i could say um logos i could say rima and i could say grafe all per, all get portrayed as um, bestowing life from God. So let's, wh why is that? And there's a lot of confusion. Like if you study these words, especially Logos and Rima, 
um, people will say that they can be used inter interchangeably. So Rima is um, also translated word. I think it specifically means uh, a message, like a spoken set of words giving a message. Okay. Okay. Um, and then graphe is the word we translate scripture. Okay. Or writings, writings or scripture. Okay. Um, and so all three of the Greek words may be related. Um, but the fact is that logos, rima, and graphe all have different meanings. Um, so logos is a person's logic or thought process in a certain subject or area. Rima simply means that's it. It always comes along with the idea of spoken, always. So it's it's a word, but it's it's a word and it's a set of words that's spoken. There's another Greek word, not to get overly technical and throw too much at you, but there's another Greek word, lexi, which means word. It literally means like what we would think of if we said the word word in English. It's where we get our topic lexicons from. <laughs> Okay. Which is right. So Lexi literally means word, but that's not really used in any special use in the New Testament. Um, but Rima is often considered life giving. Okay. Also, Graphe, scripture, not probably doesn't surprise you, is considered life giving, right? Um, so the scriptures, the Graphe, um, the, the writings, especially when they're referred to as the Hagias Graphe, which is the Holy Scriptures, they're considered to be life-giving. Now, they, I think it is confusing because they get used interchangeably. They get used interchangeably. Um, so I can say, um, I can say that it is confusing because of that. But here, let me explain to you why I think they get used interchangeably. Okay. okay. So. If I speak a sentence, um, uh, it could be a short sentence. God is love. <laughs> All right. So God is love, period. End of sentence. Yes. That sentence contains a logos. All right. Another sentence. Um, cell phones are cool. Okay. I'm conveying the fact that I think my thought process says that cell phones are really neat and cool and really useful. All right. But I'm, I'm taking that thought and I'm now putting it into a Rima. Mm -hmm. I've put words together to express my logos. And now you could call that my logos. When I said God is love, you could say that's, that's some logos from Chris. Chris is con conveying a thought that he has towards God. Or you could say that I just gave you a message. The, uh, those three words conveyed a message. They conveyed a point. Because they were spoken out loud and you now received them. And the same thing goes for graphe. If I write something down, trying to communicate something, um, that contains some of my logos. It contains my thought process towards whatever subject I'm writing about. Okay. Now, when they're used commonly, this wouldn't be the case. But when we're talking about God's logos, that's the source of life. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so anytime that God's logos is spoken out loud, God's logic, God's reasoning, let's say we're talking about salvation and I'm giving you a, I'm not, you know, Jesus is the savior and he came to save you from your sins. Mm-hmm. Okay. That you could argue that that is life-giving, but why is it life-giving? Is it life-giving because I spoke a rima or a message and I just told you a message about God? Or is it life-giving because it aligns with the reality of God's logic? It's life-giving because it's God's logic. But right. it's God's logic that I have now expressed in a rima to you. So they can be sometimes used interchangeably, especially when they're referring to something from God. A message from God contains some of God's logic. But here's where we get tripped up a little bit. Um, God's... and. I could get in trouble with some of our listeners here. So let's let's be clear here. God's logos is bigger than the Bible. It's bigger. Yes. Everyone's logos is bigger than something they write down. Yes. I could write a book, a whole book on a subject, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it contains all of my thought process concerning the, the subject. It contains my best attempts of conveying it in a book. And I would, I would echo what uh, Paul says, you know, that the Holy scriptures are God spirited is how I would translate it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the word pneuma or, or God inspired is another way that that's usually translated in first Timothy three 16. And what that means is that it's profitable and that it contains everything we need to know in order to um, have relationship with God. But God's logos is so much bigger than the Bible, right? Um, so the and and we get confused because we've called the Bible the the Word of God, right? Um, and we've said that that's all there is to say. And I think then we'll we'll talk about it in a minute. But logos becomes expounded. And you realize it's got to be bigger than the Bible. But the reason why the Bible is important is because it does contain a lot. 66 books. Right. Of, you know, or or depending, you know, if you're Orthodox, it's it's more than that. Catholic, it's more than that. But it, it contains a lot of God's logos. Right. Which, and I, I, me and you have said this before, and I've said this to other people before, and there's some people who may or may not agree with this, but it's, I think a lot of times what happens is the Bible gets thrown in. Let me be clear here. The Bible gets thrown in as being the fourth member of the Trinity. And that's not the case. The Bible is not in itself God. The Bible right. expresses the Logos. It expresses what the Word of God is. The right. Bible is one of our best ways to have the understanding of the logos of god it is not in itself that thing i remember um it's probably 15 years ago now maybe 20 but i was struggling with this a little bit and i was like okay so you keep saying the bible is the word of god do you think the bible is god i i literally asked a pastor that i asked him that i think many do and you know what he did he turned to john one and he said look in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he said, you interpret that. 
Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, I was 18 years old. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't think that's what that means, but you're the pastor. So, so, but, but here's the thing. What I'm trying to say is the Logos is bigger. And we're going to talk about when we get to the second aspect of the Logos, we're going to talk about what John 1, 1 means. But what I want to say is anything that's written down is only a portion of, like, you see it all the time. Someone will write a book. And then you'll say, that was a really good book. I'd like to interview that person. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Because you want, uh, let me interview you, you about, about the book. Okay. You, you want to know them, you want to know more of their story, why they wrote this, the, the, the things that are behind it, rather than just what is actually said in print that you're able to take away from. As much as you can get from it, there's always, pretty much any book I think you ever read, there's always you're always left with wanting more and understanding more than what you can read from what is in print. And exactly. And same thing with a, with a sermon, you know, I would say sermons, yeah. especially sermons that align with God's wisdom or his logic and his, his reason. Those are life giving man. But how many times, like as soon as you're done and if you really felt like God moved you through the sermon, what do you right. mean? At least for me, I'm like, I want to go ask the, I want to, Tell me more. <laughs> pick, like, pick your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to understand this even more. Like, yeah. because we know that there's more. Or, Chris, you have additional thoughts that you want to give back to the same Absolutely. aspect as well, too. Not to say that yours are above, but like, hey, this is my thought. What do you think of this to expand upon where it goes both ways? And I, and I do want to clarify, like, we, we've said this, there's some that probably that are listening that may not agree with this aspect. I'll say this a few times. Chris will say this a few times. Hear us out. Don't shut us off. Keep listening and understand we can have a disagreement on this and not question each other's, for lack of a better term, not question each other's salvation based on whether or not we believe this exact thing, what's across the board. So I just, that's a plea of my heart that no matter what we say in this, that you, you understand that and that if you don't agree with us, that we don't think any less of you and hopefully you don't think any less of us for not holding maybe a same belief to Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. Uh, all I'm saying is we intu intuitively know if, if you come along with me and, and I think, go ahead and study the word Logos. I'm not saying that it never means word, but when it does mean word, it, it still carries with it the idea of whatever set of words we're talking about have a certain message or a certain thought process that they're carrying with them. And that's actually what the Logos is, not the words themselves. Like apple doesn't fall from the tree. It doesn't mean apple falls as far as the tree. It's the thought behind it. That's what the Logos is. It's the thought process that I'm trying to convey. Um, so I want to take a minute because um, some people might be like, well, wait a minute. Um, the What do you mean that it's used this way? So I want to take a minute and show a place in the Bible that I believe is used in this exact manner. Um, so like it's used in the common use, but it's used of God rather than talking about Jesus, the third member of the Trinity. Um, it's talking about um, God's logic and that's all it's talking about. It's not even referencing Jesus. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and, and actually this passage that I'm about to read is a very controversial passage. We're not going to try to, exegete that's a fancy word for explain um this entire passage right now 
but I want to show you how how it can be used and it, you be the judge most people don't most people in our tradition in, in the Christian traditions don't think that this is talking about Jesus at all it's the word logos it's even the word logos of God but they think it's talking about scripture I think it's talking about God's logic so let's let's read it and we'll 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 I'll explain why why I think that so um it's Romans 9 verse 6 okay it says this but it is not as though the word of god has failed okay now the the context here just briefly is he's just talked in detail about israelites the jewish people and all the things that they've been given but he's also explained not everybody not not all the jews in fact the majority of jews the mo majority of israelites have not come to faith in Christ. Okay. So that's the context. So he's saying it's not as though the logic of God has failed in the context of Israel. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to explain for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So what he's doing is he's Paul's explaining what he believes God's logic is concerning Israel. That's what he's saying. He's saying for not all of Israel is Israel. And not all the children of Abraham are because of, because they are his offspring. But, and then he does quote, quote scripture, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. But he's quoting scripture to prove what he thinks God's logic is concerning Israel. Okay? So yeah. it would be like, it would be like me saying, Kyle thinks the Cowboys are going to win next week. Oh, why do I think that? Well, let me take you to something Kyle wrote about how good their defense is and and how because good, I'm delusional. I mean, because be he's honest. delusional. I might say I might after I present your thought process on why they're going to win, I might present a counter thought process. But I would I could you might want you might want to pick a better. <laughs> a okay. better example here chris it, it doesn't have to be that it can be something else but but the general premise is if i want to show you someone's thought process towards something and they're not there with me to explain it then i'm going to quote them i'm going to quote something they wrote or later on um this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of god but the children of the promise as counted that are counted as the offspring um, and then he says, and this was, look at this, this translation that I'm reading, I don't know which one, it's English standard. They completely left out Logos in verse nine. That drives me nuts. Sorry. Um, so in verse nine, the word Logos is there. It should say, for this is what the Logos of the promise said. And this translation that I'm looking at is the ESV. They left out the word Logos. They're, they just said, for this is what the promise said. Um, they probably think said encapsulated, but the word Lego is probably there too, which means said. Anyways, sorry. I don't mean to get overly technical. So then he says, this is what the Logos, the logic of God, the logic of God's promise said. And so then he quotes something where God actually said something. So it would then be like, instead of me quoting a scripture, it would be like me 
Um, we they didn't have this back then, but then let's say I went to part of your podcast where you explain why you think the Cowboys are going to win next week. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, look, Kyle literally not only did he write something, but he also said something. So when I want to explain someone else's logos, you know, I did it last week. I was like, C.S. Lewis talks about God's love. Let me quote from him. I was, and I could, I could easily have put in. This is God. This is C.S. Lewis's thought process on the matter. But a lot of times we omit that. We just say this is what C.S. Lewis said, and then we quote him, which would be akin to saying this was a rima from C.S. Lewis rather than mm-hmm. me using the word logos. But what I'm trying to teach you is God's logos concerning, or C.S. Lewis's logos considering love, or in this case, in this passage, what Paul's trying to teach is God's logic concerning Israel. And he does so by quoting when God makes certain promises to someone, or by quoting scripture that's written down concerning Israel. So we see he's quoting Graphe and quoting Rima because they contain a part of God's Logos. But Paul's point is that God's logic concerning Israel um, isn't failing, hasn't failed, and he's going to explain why. Um, So that's not talking about Jesus at all. Instead, this is the common use of the word Logos. And he's not saying the scriptures haven't failed. No, what he's saying is God's logic concerning Israel hasn't failed. And we know that because he doesn't just quote scripture. Instead, he inserts his own thought process. Paul inserts his own thought process, trying to explain what God's thought process is towards Israel or what God's logic is toward Israel. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you see, um, I, I think the vast majority of the New Testament um, uses Logos this way. In fact, I think like there's passages, I'm not going to uh, pull them up right now, but there's passages where it says Jesus went up on the hill and he was teaching them the Logos. And we translated his word and we think he's talking about scripture. And I want to say, no, he, what he's doing is, I mean, he might use some scripture, but if you look at the rest of Jesus's teachings, he usually expounds upon it. He's teaching God's logic concerning the scriptures and right. what the scriptures actually meant. He's espousing God's thought process is what he's doing when he's doing that. Um, so anyway, so that's that's the common use of Logos. Um, before we transition, any questions or thoughts? Do you kind of understand the interplay between Logos, Rima, and Graphe now? Yeah. Okay. Um, so those those words and how they interplay has been confusing to a lot of people. And I'm not saying that it's always going to be clear. But like, just like in English, when we say, Kyle Priestley said this, and therefore this is his thought process, I, didn't, I, I don't even have to say that therefore this is his process. But inherently, I'm talking about your logic concerning a certain subject. You're thinking right. concerning a certain subject. Yes, absolutely. So, all right. Um, so let's, let's now jump into, um, yeah, um, let's now jump into, okay, let's say we understand the Logos um, original use at this point. Um, so what is this special use, right? So let's, let's get to the special uses. So the special unique uses that refer to Jesus, there's a whole etymology 
progression that happens that causes John to use Logos um, in those instances. And now he's taking Logos and saying that they are Jesus. They are the son of son of God. They are the second member of the Trinity, if you want to think of it that way. So what happens is, if that's the common use for, for Logos, the meaning behind the words, right? What happens is Greek philosoph philosophers, um, and I, I, when I say that, it's not just one. It's like several Greek philosophers. Um, so in ancient Greek philosophy, Logos was used by Heraclitus, a pre-Socratic Greek philosopher. Those are fancy words, but basically 400, 500 years before the New Testament is, writ is written, Heraclitus um, starts using the term Logos to describe a universal law or principle that inherently ordered the cosmos and regulated all of its phenomena or everything that's in it. So he says, something put this world in order, but I don't know what it is, but basically there's a principle that is, that is guided and put everything together. This world has an order to it. It has a function to it. And I don't know what it is, but it's very logical or it's very logos. It, it, it all makes sense. And so he thought of the logos as the undergirding principle that put all the world together. Yeah. Okay. Um, and not only that, but because he had started doing that, and he's not the first one, most, most, Historians will tell you that probably there were a lot of people saying that like philosophy is birthed out of long conversations and thoughts and conversations with other philosophers, but he's the first one kind of that we kind of think of as like putting it down, writing it down. So we kind of ascribe it to him. Um, another, another guy who also was around the time, maybe even a little before him was Pythagoras. He's the one who wrote the Pythagorean theory. Um, but both of them, they ascribe this logos as like the, the, the creation of the world and how it's in order. Now, they didn't think of God, but if they did think of a God, the logos is a type of a God. It's like this thing that put everything in order. Um, and so by the time of like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, logos was the term established to describe the faculty of human reason and the knowledge men had of the known world and of other humans. Um, and so Logos became not just a term describing logic, but a term describing like logic of like the known world. It's the thing that everything came to be created through. Um, so it was very, um, it became a very, and, and they all use it in different ways. So I don't want to make it sound like Logos is used consistently the same way, but it's it becomes a very, um, very important Greek philosophical term that um, undergirds everything else. I, I don't I couldn't find the quote. I was trying to find it for the podcast, but someone said like, yeah, the Greek philosophers, so you could say some of them even believed in the Greek pantheon of gods. Mm -hmm. But if they did, they're all playing on a field, and that field's name is the Logos. <laughs> like, okay. Because the Logos is the thing that set everything in order and would have even created the other 
pantheon of Greek gods. So that's how important the word logos was. Okay. Um, so it was established. So um, it was established that the logos was the undergirding important that um, important word that described how the world was put together logically. <laughs> All right. So I might be getting ahead of myself on here, but just because this bear with me as ADD and my, this triggered my mind thought on here is we're, we're talking a lot of Greek, obviously within here. How does that play into like Hebrew and what like the Jews and the Hebrews would have known at okay. that time mixed in with the same thing? Just because I, I know for, for them that that would have been different. There wouldn't have been the, the pathos side of things. Yeah. Um, and so, it would have been more singular than what, that aspect so how do those two languages like reconcile together if if you can explain that briefly no yeah actually that was a really good segue the next kind of thing that i was going to discuss discusses exactly that so um there's another um philosopher who's philosophizing that's probably not the right word but um go with it at this time and his name is philo philo of alexandria um, he um, was a Jew, so he was very fluent in Jewish thought, Jewish principles, um, and he, because he was also fluent in Greek philosophy, um, and to give you an idea, he is a contemporary of Paul, or you could think of him as a, as a contemporary of the Apostles. Okay, so he's writing the same time as like Paul's writing what I just read wrote, read to you in Romans. Like he's writing at the same time. Um, and there's like debates on how influential he is. But I mean, I read something the other day that said, you know, like a million Jewish. He had a million Jewish followers following his kind of ideas of Greek philosophy melded with Jewish thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and what he does is he says. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what the logos is in in the Jewish world. We have we have the logos. We just don't call it logos. We call it hokmah. It's the Hebrew word hokmah. Now in our Bibles, we translate hokmah as wisdom. Now, okay. now why would Philo think that um, that? the Jewish hokmah or the Jewish wisdom is the same thing as these Greek philosophers logos. Well, let me read you a passage. Okay. And this I, is not the only place. I, I would think because wisdom has a personalization to it. It's not just that. That's, that's my guess when I'm leaning towards, you can tell me if I'm right or not. <laughs> well, it does have a, um, well, the personification part of it, comes in later we're going to talk about that in a minute but he because philo was a kind of a greek philosopher and none of these greek philosophers thought the logos had any type of personification but they did think that it was the thing by which the whole world was made right it was how everything was yeah. established so philo comes along he's not a christian at least, I mean, some people have argued maybe he was because he understood the Logos, people who actually understand the Logos, and say, well, it seems like he understood the Logos, have come along and said that. But um, but he's not, he hasn't said that Jesus is 
the Christ, for example. So right. he wouldn't be considered a Christian. Um, but he's a he's very fluent in Jewish understanding, and then he's also very fluent in Greek philosophy. So he understands Logos and what the Greeks are saying about the Logos, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, we have that. We call it wisdom. So let me quote, quote to you from Proverbs 8, okay? okay. Proverbs 8, I'm going to quote starting in verse 22, but let me be clear, this all of chapter 8, you could read the whole thing. And it would, it would, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this seems like it's <laughs> the Logos of John 1. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Talking. But, but what it is, is it's Lady Wisdom talking. This is Lady Wisdom talking about herself. Um, and she said, she says in verse 22 of chapter 8 of Proverbs, she says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. From everlasting I was established from the beginning from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established, or you could put, put things in order, when he put in order the heavens, I was there when he inscribed the circle of the face of the deep. That's an allusion to Genesis 1. God's mm -hmm. spirits hovering over the face of the waters. When he made firm the skies above, again, a reference to Genesis 1. When the springs of the deep became fixed. So when he put everything in order. When he set the, set the sea its boundary, set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. Saying you're beside something in that time period means that you have equal authority, that you're yeah. doing it with him. I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Yeah, the, okay, I'm gonna so stop there. I, Go ahead. I, I I was following along with you reading the NLT, just to kind of go okay. a little bit back and forth. And I, I the at the end there, you kind of got to it. And th what they use here was, "I was the architect at his side. I was Beautiful. his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence." I I like that term, the architect. It yeah, kind of exactly. hit on that as being a part there. Right. So Philo comes along, and he says. Um, oh, yeah, 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 we have the Logos. We call it the Hokmah. We call it the wisdom of God. Yeah. And it's the thing by which God created. Now, a lot of people get this confused because they'll say, no, 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 it's the word that God created by. So if you go back to Genesis 1, it says God spoke, you know, and then things happened. But what we, what we have to remember is, um, for one, Proverbs itself is telling us that it was wisdom that was the architect. And then anytime that there are words used, that's conveying someone's logos. So the logos is how God verbally puts, you know, it's an expression of his logos to, to say a phrase like, let there be light, for example, in Genesis 1. That was God using logos, conveying his thoughts and putting them in words. 
So anytime a phrase is put together of words, you're conveying God's logos. So yes, it is the words, but it was the logos that actually was the thing that was the architect, as your translation said there. I think that's a good, good translation. So Philo is the first one to say this, but it's not, it doesn't, uh, this is my personal opinion, um, but I think it flows naturally. We're talking about the etymology, right? Which means like how the word develops its use. Now, pretty much everyone will tell you that the letters of Paul and all the gospels, um, all the gospels with the exception of John, uh, and you know a lot of the other letters are written before um, the letters of John and the gospel of John. And then also we're going to talk about the letter of Hebrews. So it's my belief that this happened. So the Greek philosophical thought of, of um, the Logos has been in place for 400 years, right? But for, yeah. for like, if you're talking about like the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I think if you're talking about the Paul's letters, um, if you're talking about, you know, some of the other letters, they're going to use Logos the way I just described to you earlier. They're going to use it as someone's logic. Sometimes yeah. they'll describe it as God's logic. But then Philo, who's teaching at the same time, garners a big following, right? And he's teaching, well, the, 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 lo, the Greek logos is the Jewish hokmah, is the Jewish wisdom. Um, and so then we have the stage set for John 1. Okay. Now, if you know anything about like how Hebrews read the Bible, when you start quoting something and it looks right, similar. Right to left. Well, yes. Sorry. Bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> right. But when, when they start quoting something and you see a lot of similarities, you're meant to go back and find that other passage. Um, in fact, both my two pastors from our church um, this week were teaching on Proverbs 8. And both of them made this connection. They both made the connection that John 1, uh, they, were, they were teaching in Proverbs 8. But they're like, look, Proverbs 8, that seems to be John 1. <laughs> they both made that connection. It's a natural thing to do. If you know your Bible, there's only one other thing that's ascribed to, to being with God in the beginning and the thing by which all things are created, right? And yeah. that's Lady Wisdom. That's the only other thing. Um, and so it made sense for Philo to make that connection. Um, but John 1 hadn't been written yet when Philo's making that connection. So what... So, so I've heard some people say, if John thinks that wisdom is the thing by which all things are created, why on earth did he use Logos? And the answer is because of the, the philosophical Greek use of Logos. He, used, he wants to speak to not only Jews who are going to make the connection. We as Christians, if you know your Old Testament, you make the connection. Oh, wisdom is the thing that God made all of creation by. You, you know that already. So when he starts saying, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God, and all things were created by him, and nothing that was created was not, you know, I might have misquoted it there. But he's saying, oh, wait a minute, that makes you automatically think, if you're a Christian or a Jew, 
oh, he's describing Lady Wisdom. Because it's the only other thing that's described that way in the entire Jewish text. And yeah. in fact, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but there's other books of wisdom that we don't have in our Protestant Bibles, but like the Wisdom of Solomon, the Wisdom of Sirach, they all talk about Lady Wisdom in this way. So it's not a one-time thing. Proverbs 8 is just the best place for us to see it. There's also like a reference in Proverbs 3, um, and there's a few other places, but Proverbs 8 is the clearest, oh my gosh, this is talking about the Logos as well as the, the wisdom. The wisdom. Um, so John comes along, and, and I would say first he comes along in John 1, and he says, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Yeah. Okay. And then the shocking thing, like the thing that would have just blown um, every Jew's mind, every Greek's mind, is the claim that he makes in John 1.14. What does he say in John 1.14 if you're tracking along, Kyle? Right, so, again, this is from NLT version, but it's, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Yeah. So what 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 just happened? What just happened is he said wisdom, Lady Wisdom from Proverbs mm -hmm. 8. And to the Greeks, he said, Your Greek philosophical idea of Logos, the thing that created everything, it took on flesh. Yeah. It became man. That's the thing that would have been like. Oh my gosh, you're blowing my mind. How on earth can you say that this transcendent being that created everything, this Logos or this Lady Wisdom that was with God from the beginning, was now a man? And you're claiming that he was this man, Jesus. That's what would have blown their mind. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's the rest of um, what's the rest of that? Uh, not all translations have it, and we'll we'll actually come back to this verse sometime. So but 15. I like it. Yeah. So so no, in verse 14 it says what? He was full of what? Unfailing unfailing love and faithfulness. Unfailing love and faithfulness. Um, so some translations will translate it as grace and truth. Um, but yes, Jesus was full of God's logos, and logos, God's logos, Jesus was God's logos, and now being made flesh, right? Yeah. And what was he full of? He was full of grace and truth or unfailing love and faithfulness. So here we are. He's being revealed into as a man. And what is that man's character? Love. Un unfailing. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Grace and truth would be another way of saying love or unfailing love and faithfulness. Which I think this goes back to what we talked about last week. Again, I think those two words, are, it's... It, your version has two different words. My version pulled up two different words. Mm -hmm. Again, I think those are two words that you use to describe what love is. They are not the actual description of love. So it's absolutely it speaks yeah. into more. These are these are attributes of not what it first and foremost is. Right. So, and we're going to talk about what love is in detail next episode. But having said that, the logos description doesn't stop there. So then in first John, John 1, um, so a little bit later on, John writes a letter, and I'm not going to 
necessarily go there and quote you guys are i think everybody's probably tracking with me but then he says he calls the logos the logos of life but he makes it very clear that it's this human person that he's seen and he's touched with his hands right concerning the logos of life but instead of calling it the logos of god now he's calling it the logos of life because god's logic is life-giving god's logos is life-giving then in Hebrews 4.12, we see it used again for the logos of God, so logic of God, logos of God, Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, it's being used in a special way. And we can see that it is because anytime it's personified, now we're talking about Jesus. Anytime the word logos is personified in the New Testament, we're talking about Jesus. Um, so for the Logos of God, the logic of God, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even as far as the division of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden, hidden before him. So a lot of people think this is talking about the Bible. This isn't talking about the Bible. This is talking about Jesus, or this is talking about the Logos, which we know came in the flesh and was named Jesus, okay? Right. And there's no creature hidden before him, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom all it, to whom is our reckoning, or to whom we all have to give an account. We're all going to have to give, a, give an account to Jesus, to, to the logic of God. And did we live in according to, in accordance to the logic or wisdom of God? Did we live in accordance to Jesus's way, to the logic and wisdom that God has provided to us, or did we not? All right. And then the final use, I think there's really only four books that use it in this way: Revelation. And finally, in Revelation, is used as the name of Jesus as the Son of God when He returns. So it says that He's riding on a white horse, and His name is the Logos of God. So here we are, and we're seeing that um, Jesus is the wisdom or the logic that put the whole world together. And so this is the, um, but he's not just an inanimate object, or sorry, object isn't the right word. He's not just an uh, inanimate um, abstract idea like the Greeks, and even like, you know, yeah. the Hebrews understood wisdom, but they did not think, and it was even personified a little bit. But now we're talking about a personal being that became human to relate to us, right? And and that's what the book of Hebrews is like all about. Um, and really, if you want to understand, just a, a sidebar here, if you really want to understand the book of Hebrews and what they're trying to address, you need to read Philo, okay? It starts off saying, that the son of God is not Moses and he's not an angel. Where the heck did they get that idea? Oh, well, Philo said that the Logos was wisdom. And then he also said that wisdom was, that, that wisdom was also Moses. Why would they do that, Kyle? Why, why would they, why would he equate Moses with wisdom? Moses gave the law. law. Moses gave the law, which in the Jewish, like the law and Wisdom are like hand in hand in Jewish right. thought. Um, but he basically said that wisdom is what, what Moses was like a manifestation of wisdom. 
And then he also taught that um, that the Logos was an angel. So the book of Hebrews, there's no doubt in my mind that it is written to address the philosophy that Philo, the first four lines are a dead giveaway that he's addressing Philo. Mm-hmm. Uh, first four or five lines, I don't remember, where he address, addresses that the sun is higher and and superior to angels and to Moses. Um, so that is the special use of Logos. Um, I don't want to stop there, though, but do you have any questions about that use of Logos before we um, move on to our final point, our takeaway for today? So this I, quote I just, from Pope Benedict. Uh, yeah, it's a quote from Pope Benedict. And uh, the giveaway here, I'm, we're, neither one of us is our Catholic, but um, I thought this quote was uh, very insightful. I, thought, I think he was in line with the understanding of Logos that I've been espousing here. So I'll go ahead and read it to you. From the beginning, Christianity, Christianity has understood itself as the religion of the Logos, as the religion according to reason. It has always defined men. All men, without distinction, as creatures and images of God, proclaiming for them the same dignity. And this connection, the enlightenment of Christian origin, and it is no accident that it was born precisely and exclusively in the realm of Christian faith. It was and is the merit of the enlightenment to have again proposed these original values of Christianity and of having given back to reason its own voice. There we see the reference of reason and logos. Mm -hmm. Today, this should be precisely Christianity's philosophical strength insofar as the problem is whether the world comes from the irrational and reason is not other than a subproduct on occasion, even harmful of its development, or whether the world comes from reason and is a consequence, sorry, and is as a consequence, its criterion and goal. So what it was created for. Right. In the so necessary dialogue between secularists and Catholics and Christians, we Christians must be very careful to remain faithful to this fundamental line to live a faith that comes from Logos, from creative reason, and that because of this is also open to all that is truly rational. Yeah. I wanted to uh, bring that quote in because we started um, podcast one talking about... um, love and there's a large group of people in christianity that i would say don't like necessarily to think of god's sinner as being love right well and they when they hear someone say like we did in week one or in podcast one that god is love they think that we're just being sentimental that we're just um playing with emotions, and that's why we like the idea that God is love. And I want to be clear here in the second episode, we are espousing what we believe to be the logic of God. 
And that logic was manifest in Jesus, who came and was full of grace and truth, who was full of characteristics that flow out of love. Of, um, uh, and so the, the fundamental belief that I have about Jesus is that, yes, his character is love, but that he's literally the mind of God, the logos of God manifest in the flesh. And therefore, he's the ultimate reason or the ultimate logic of life and the way that the world was created. And so I hope it's clear that uh, we intend by naming this podcast the Logos of Agape or the Logos of Love, that we are trying to be very logical here. We're trying to follow the, the scripture, the biblical arguments, and be logical and follow the logical flow because we believe that God's Logos describes the character of God as love. God is love. Um, and so that's, and this quote is saying exactly that. It's saying that this was like um, the the starting point for a lot of the enlightenment even was Christianity and understanding Christianity, understanding that the Logos was Jesus. And that, that means that it's based, that Christianity is based off of logic and reason. Any yeah. thoughts on that, Kyle? No, I not anything really further. It's just that I, that quote, like I said, I've I've heard before. I can't remember exactly where, but the part that I think the part that stood out to me the most is towards the end of that. It's in the so necessary dialogue between secularists and he used the word Catholics, but I think I think that word Catholics can be interchanged for for Christians. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. what the word Catholic means in general, anyway. But in the so necessary dialogue between secularists and Catholics, we Christians must be very careful to remain faithful to this fundamental line, to live a life of faith that comes from the Logos. So from that understanding. From the, yeah, like, yeah, like, that comes from logic. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So what I want to finally wrap up with then today is that um, I think I've, I've described well the logos and so what we're talking about is like we have the same type of logos in us that's what kind of makes it that's part of what makes us image bearers well someday we'll talk in detail about what makes us image bearers yeah um but sometime when you get a chance go read i think one of the best places where you can see jesus as the logos now explaining god's logic is the sermon on the mount yeah absolutely okay so what's he what's he doing? He's now and, and he even tells us in in that passage, he says, I have not come to destroy the law or do away with the law. Instead, I have come to bring it to its telos. It's a Greek word that means like bring it Fullishing. to its fullness. Yep. Or bring it to like its full meaning, or bring it to what it was headed, what it, what it was trying to point to, right? Yeah. So and what he does is like he takes every like all sorts of laws that are in the that are in the Torah and he expounds them even further to try to tell us what they were pointing to. Yeah. Okay. And one could say that they're pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the logos of God manifest. But another thing that you could say is that Jesus himself not in the Sermon on the Mount, but elsewhere, um, tells us what the telos of the law is. Yeah. What do we think that is, Kyle? 
it's, it's to love. I mean, that's it's to love, right? So, yeah. so someone comes up to him, you know, um, and he says, "Teacher, what, what's the most important law?" I got it. Right. So love he says, "Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." This is the first the... and greatest commandment, and the second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Right. That's, Okay, so my favorite verse. I mean, when I was a kid, but in adult life, and after coming out of a time of questioning and understanding, then that that verse comes back so much because, and you're going to get to this, and I know this is just me getting geeked and excited about this aspect because I love it. It's that, like you said, Jesus coming and having and talking about all these things in the law and what he does in the Sermon on the Mount. To me, when you connect that with this, it's I think it's really easy for us to separate those two things first and say, oh, loving God is because he says that first. That's the first and most important part. And I could say, sure, absolutely. Without loving God, I don't believe that you're truly loving selflessly. And so, yeah, you have to love God first. But the reason he says it and says it's like it is because God's giving you instructions right then and there of how you love me is Mm -hmm. by loving others. And all these things that I've said before about these law I'm showing you how this pertains to you loving others and making the life for your fellow man better and sharing that so that way he has the here and now and the eternity to have the same understanding. So, Absolutely. And and what I want to also emphasize is, is verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So he's saying, validation. He's, he's literally saying the telos of the law. That's what it is. So now when you go back and read the Sermon on the Mount, and when he adjusts all these Jewish laws and expands them, what he's really doing is he's saying the point of this law was to love. And let me expand this law to show you how whatever law it is that he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount, let me expand it to explain how love would understand this law. So not just don't hate but sorry, not just don't murder, but don't hate. Right. Right. Yeah. So like, and I, I just picked one. There's there's a plethora of them, but he's he's bringing it to its fullness by telling us how to take that law and how love would take that law and bring it to its fullness, because love is the telos of the law. Right. So, um, I'm gonna read one more quote. It's from Gregory of Nyssa. Um, and so I'll read that to you real quick, because basically Gregory of Nyssa said, we as humans have the same logos, and it's what allows us to love. Okay, so I'll read the quote here. Gregory of Nyssa is a church father, if you didn't know, uh, from like the 300s, 300s, 400s. He said, I don't know that one. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> I, I knew Benedict. I didn't know right. this one. <laughs> gotcha. But he said, you see in yourself word but it's the word logos so you see in yourself logos and understanding so logic and understanding an imitation of the very mind and logos logic right an imitation of the very mind and logic again god is love and the fount of love for this is for this the great john declares that love is of god and god is love He's the fashioner of our nature, and he has made this to be our feature too. For hereby, 
he says, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Thus, if this be absent, the whole stamp of the likeness is transformed. It means it doesn't make sense. Okay. The deity, the deity beholds and hears all things and searches all things out. You too have the power of apprehension of things by means of sight and hearing and the understanding that inquires into things and searches them out. We too have the Logos, which enables us to love, is what that quote is saying. Yeah. We can love like God loves because we have the Logos. Um, and again, you can see from this early church father, he doesn't use the word Logos as if he's talking about a word. He's using it as if he's talking about logic. Um, yeah. it's, it's correlated with mind here. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Chris and I talk often, and this is going to be a theme that is going to be, we're going to find ways to try and put, well, we can't have music within the podcast itself. And like, just because copyright, things like that. We want to be able to give some emphasis to be able to have music still be part of this as much as possible. That's for me and Chris both. I, at least I, Chris is going to yeah, say absolutely. this as well too. That, that's a big way that we both experience Christ and God and creation, who he is, is through music. That to, to me, that's a lot of people see with the creation. While creation is beautiful in the mountains, that, that points to being a a God and that this is not just all by by happenstance. For, for me, it's music and the fact that we easily could have just been monotone creatures across the board, but God gave us the ability to use inflection and tone and change things for more than just communication with each other, but to be able to communicate emotion and ideas and concepts outside of just being words, I would say. Um, and so for me, that's why I love music and trying to bring that into. Now, it's, it's funny what I'm going to say here is one of my favorite hymns actually is because of the lyrics of the hymn and not because of the music of the hymn. And that's goes with this. And we'll know, and they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. And so I'd say, listen to that hymn, kind of take into that a little bit. Maybe you don't like the music, like I, I don't like the music, but the words of that, and there can be some inflection that maybe that's why it's stuck in my head is because of the, the way the music has gone, even though mm -hmm. I don't necessarily like it as much anymore. That always stands out to me the most. It's not that they'll know we are Christians by what we don't do. It's they'll know we are Christians and a follower of Christ. They'll know we are children of him by our love and us showing that upon the world. Right. And, you know, not, not to harp on it, but um, that's taken that, that, that thought process is taken from scripture, you know, it's absolutely John 14, John 15. And uh, again, I think it just goes back to show that the central characteristic is of God is love. Yeah. How will they know that we are followers of God that we're, that we're Christians? How yep. will they know that? If we love one another. Well, what's and what's the first line of that hymn? I don't know. You're gonna have to remind me. We, we are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. Like that, that, and even that goes back to that aspect. If you're if you're one, it's because you're showing that love and you're in that harmony. I'm trying to remember the hymn, so you might have to show it to me sometime. You don't remember? Oh man. Well, I remember. All right. Well, now, now that you told me the first line. Jars we of clay. Jars of clay. That that's if there's a musical version that I like, Jars of Clay has they had a they had an album back in like 2005 
that mm-hmm. was like that was hymns. I mean, that, that's really what it was. And this that's one of the ones that they do on the album. And I would say go go find that one and listen to that one if you want to hear that hymn done in a way that maybe is better than what the hymn is to right. done. <laughs> How's that? Well, I'm going to take this this second then to just do a little self-advertising then. And we need to add that song then since we talked about <laughs> it on this podcast. Okay. Um, no, but uh, on on the if if you guys are any of our any of our listeners, if you uh, use the YouTube page we've started to create a logos of love playlist and we'll add that song kyle will find it and we'll add that song to it but uh it's it's all songs about god being love um i wanted to create a playlist somewhere i'll see if i can get it on apple music too because i have apple music and see if i can get it available there but it's it's already we will get it on spotify too for you to follow our playlist on spotify that can go along with this as well that perfect Yep. And uh, if you guys have any suggestions, you know, feel free to, obviously we want comments on what we talked about today, but you can also give, throw suggestions of songs that we should add to the playlist. Uh, love to, love to hear any that you guys have. So. Yeah. If it, it's, I think like we said, music can go a long way in helping you have a grasp understanding of what we talk about. And if there's things that we know that lyrics of things, and I think especially when lyrics match tonality, and be able to bring out that emotion that can help you be able to have reflection and think about what has been talked about and be able to expand upon it more and grow and become a better follower of Christ and become better at loving other people. So a thousand percent. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for then this episode, uh, episode number two. Um, Make sure you check into our next show, which is going to be about agape. Correct, Chris? That's correct. We're going to now... What we did with Logos, we're going to do a little bit of that with Agape. We're going to try to understand. Last week we established, okay, God's character is love. But what does love really mean? That's what we're jumping into next week. I think it'll be uh, exciting for you. I think hopefully it'll be enlightening. Um, So I'm really excited for it. And that's what we're jumping in. We're doing the etymology, that, that fancy word that means the development and what the words actually mean. Uh we're doing that for the word agape. So, All right. Again, this has been the Logos of Love podcast. Make sure you check us out again next week and tell everyone you know to check us out. Thanks, yeah, guys. and do us a favor. Like and subscribe and share. Yes. like that and sub- that's, always, that's always an important thing. Like and subscribe. Make sure you click on that bell or whatever. I don't. I don't know what. Right. If you're on. If you're I on am an Apple, Apple podcast, person, but whatever can... that thing is to get the notification, push notification. That way, you yep. know, when we put something out. That way, you're like, hey, I can listen to this today. So. Yeah. Do that on YouTube, and then if you're like on one of the podcasts, I think there's a way for you to like leave a comment. That helps us. Um, yeah. Sharing it helps us. So do that if you would. We'd love Absolutely. your support. So. so again, make sure you check us out on the next episode. We will see you next week. <laughs>